Welcome to our next episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the Five Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Welcome back, friends. Bob Mosier here, as I was introduced in the beginning of the podcast. So great to have you all here at an interesting time in our world and our industry. And I am uh, more than honored to be joined by my dear colleague, Dr. Khan Gottfriedson, as we go into our topic today. Khan, welcome. Thank you, Bob. As always, it's great to be with you and talking about these important things that we are privileged to discuss. Truly is. This is a challenging time, clearly. And and by the way, we are thinking about all of you. Thoughts and prayers are out in our industry as we all struggle to deal with this personally, of course, but at the same time, do our best in serving those that we do through learning and in many ways, reevaluating and reinventing who we are. And that's kind of what today is about. You know, we're hearing a lot, Con, in the world today about virtual instruction. I was on a call the other day and, and I must have heard literally 50 to 100 times Uh, We're going virtual. We're going digital. And I get it. We all get it. That's the only option in many cases when we are being required to literally work out of our homes or otherwise. And almost immediately after that comment from many people on that call was, but here's the question, colleagues, who knows how to do this? How do we (laughs) (laughs) design it? Just going digital is not a technical challenge, although there's clearly that. But that's the easy part. How do you design learning and how do you deliver it? That's tougher, right? Yeah, well, there's a vast chasm between the word virtual and the word learning, or the word virtual and the word instruction, making sure that people can actually learn virtually and that we are instructionally sound in what we do virtually. That's a a big deal. And unfortunately, it's not going to happen if you just dump a traditional face-to-face learning model into the virtual world. And kind of, I think I'd push us a little farther than that because, of course, this is our swan song here, right, is that it's, I'd even push it past learning to performance. How do you go uh, virtual and impact performance? And I think the means is instruction. The means is the delivery, the design. But I think, like we've talked about forever in the five moments and our performance first mentality, I think we have a unique opportunity out of out of anything in life, there is opportunity to get the funding, get the support, to do things radically different. And I think our opportunity here as learning professionals is to turn this industry on its ear so that when we emerge from this, we may not be who we were. We may not do things the way we did. And, and virtual is an idea or time to do that. So Today, my friend, we're going to talk about two components of a journey we've been on for quite a while, right? Yeah, we've been after this for a long time, many years, since about 2005, I think. Yeah, so so before we get to that, let's talk about some principles. Let's talk about things that make virtual instruction successful. And candidly, some of these aren't unique to virtual, to be honest, but... Obviously, for us, it pivots on the workflow and our ability to understand that because, my goodness, this is forcing people to be in the workflow all the time. They they can't go to class. How do we get to that, Con? 
I'm kind of reminded of our early days in performance support when we built our first course in performance support and we didn't include any performance support as <laughs> as we've talked about. And the same is true, you know, in in the world today uh, as we as we move uh into the virtual world, we just simply have to map it to what it is that people need to do. And so fundamental to all learning, whether it's virtual, face-to-face, or whatever, is it has to map to the workflow. It has to tie to the workflow. People have to be able to translate whatever it is that they're learning and doing to the workflow. And then it opens the door to our ability to create a solution that allows there to be a beautiful blend from the virtual learning experience into the workflow to take on a blended virtual and workflow learning model. Now, a key thing here that has been a part of our messaging all along, though actually there's two, that really make virtual, I think, unique. And we've talked about performance support being one of the more powerful additions to training in general, but performance support really resonates when someone's locked in their home, to be honest, or in the workflow in their cubicle. Because it is that moment of need, it is that pyramid base, which we've talked about in past podcasts, uh, two clicks, 10 seconds, access to information that we don't train on, that we shouldn't train on. This is a remarkable opportunity, Con, for us to take a look at all the plethora of resources that we viewed as uh, outside of instruction, that in EPSS or the pyramid we talked about or performance support architects in a really remarkable way and makes all the five moments of need accessible and doable when we're trying to get our work done. Yeah, everything we do, we should be pushing as much as we can of that learning, of that work into the workflow where people learn as they do their jobs. And then back into the formal learning side of things based upon what the environment calls for. And today, what we see is the need to be able to deliver and support learning and to initiate learning virtually. But if that's all that people do, if that's all organizations do, is just deliver the learning solution in a virtual world, and they don't figure out how to extend that into the workflow using performance support, then you're not going to get there very well. It's going to have the same kind of challenges that we have today with traditional face-to-face learning which is the challenge of transfer and sustainment of those skills in the workflow and the delivery of real performance, effective performance on the job and being able to measure what that means. So this is all about mapping to the workflow, extending and blending into the workflow and enabling that blend with performance support, which also allows us to optimize what we actually do virtually. You know, it's funny because one of my favorite things about virtual instruction that we'll talk about in a moment when we are thrust into this model that we're going to share is that right away, anyone who has any degree of design background, I think even learners get this, is that you can't take people from an eight-hour class and put them online for eight hours. It, 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 it just ain't going to happen. Like most of you are going to struggle tolerating this podcast past 30 minutes. So it forces you to use probably one of the most proven instructional theories, design theories ever. And that's the power of something called space learning. And I think this is a huge opportunity speaking to your performance support point, Con, earlier, is that people understood we have to chop it up. 
But here's what we didn't see in many models we looked at when we first thought of this and, and, and were forced into this in 2005 was that you can do something during that break. So people took eight-hour classes, chopped them up into an hour, maybe two. That's what the math is, what, five or four breaks. Let's make it a day. Let's make it a week. And basically said, see you in a week. But what we optimized on, and I think we'll talk about today, is that spaced learning comes into play here, chunking content more effectively, spacing it out for time and cognitive load. But also you have an invaluable time during that break to do some intentional instructional steps and interactions and engagements that in the end are the best part of what is virtual instruction as a model. So kind of history bit, right? Let's go back a little bit just to get us people started. 2005, I was working for a large technology company and was challenged with geography. We were trying to reach technicians that we could not get to in our multiple training centers across the globe. And so we brought, at the time we were dabbling, it was, it was the beginning of this whole world. There were very few, but a couple platforms and we wanted to see if we could do one simple thing. Could we take these week-long, two-week-long, highly content-burdened technical courses, and could we make them online as rich that when we got back our evaluations, right, that's what we pivoted on back then, we could match the classroom? Could we have them, when they finish this virtual experience, go, wow, you know, that was as good as heading into one of your training centers and taking the class live? And here's the exciting news. What we found was through the methodology we'll share in a moment, we blew the top off it. Not only did we match the classroom in experience, not only did we match the classroom in intimacy, some ridiculous myths of distance learning that it is distancing, but to our ability to match the intimacy, match the engagement, match the way in which we understand what's happening in the classroom. Not only did we match it, we exceeded it. The feedback came back from students and trainers that the experience was more intimate. Trainers found out more about their students than they knew before. They felt more fulfilled by the connection that was done via distance than they had done with the classroom. And that was a powerful blend that came from the entire thing. Yeah. And fundamental in that quest was we identified those fundamental principles of instruction that we know make a huge difference in terms of facilitating people's capacity to learn and the speed and the ease in which they're able to learn. And our objective was, can we move and operationalize those principles in a virtual environment? And what we ended up discovering was that, yes, we could, but it would also include us or require us to extend that operationally into the workflow, which was, in 2005, quite a remarkable move. Mm -hmm. So I still remember uh, we were at a major conference and you and I were sitting together and brainstorming and <laughs> thinking all that through. And, and we came up with the gear model. Yeah, gear uh, was born. Uh, our virtual workflow learning model that came into being that we have since operationalized again and again and again with remarkable success. And it's this model that we want to share with folks today, just at a high level, to help you understand that and to understand the success and some instructional elements behind that. So friends, gear, G-E-A-R, the word gear. I'll take a crack at the first part, Con. And again, to Con's point, we're going to stay fairly high level for today. We can go deeper another time. In fact, if you want to reach out to us via our email or directly, we'd be happy to go much deeper into the model with you as well. But G for gather. Why not, right? That's what we pivot on now. We get people in the classroom. We're going to gather virtually. I think when people think of virtual instruction, they put a whole lot of weight if not everything, on the fact that this is what we'll do. 
We'll get people virtually together versus physically together, and we'll teach them. So yeah, there's gather, but we're going to come around to this in a bit when we reach the end of the acronym because some very interesting things emerged about really the importance or the relationship of gather to the other parts. So one to two and a half hours we found was the average. People cognitively couldn't handle more than that, depending on the complexity of the content. And based on a methodology that we've talked about before, critical skills analysis, the other thing that's powerful because we have that EPSS, we're going to keep coming back to the performance support. You do not, nor should you, teach everything. Don't chop up eight hours of class into eight different hour breaks. You probably can do four hours of an eight-hour class in smaller chunks because you have the EPSS to help during the workflow work. So the gather is saved, as the gather should always be, physical or otherwise, for what we call the most critical skills that you identify that an instructor has to be sure are taught, practiced, and communicated. So that's the gather. And the gather initiates the learning process but it doesn't close it. Gathering initiates learning, and then you move from that gather or virtual session to the workflow, where with the help of an EPSS or with performance support, you have what we call expand and apply activities. Now, the expand activities in the workflow are intended to provide access to resources that would allow people to deepen their understanding of what they need to know, but also to translate what they've learned in that gather session and what they need to be able to do in their apply activities to translate all of that understanding to their own work environment, to think about that and to reflect on that in terms of their work. So it's a deepening and expansion of knowledge and adapting that to their world. That's to expand the E part of gear. The apply part of the gear model is just that. This is where in the workflow, the learners apply what they have learned and what they have picked up in the gather session and in their expand activities to their real world of their work in meaningful chunks and very meaningful groups of activities that will further their skill development all of that supported by the EPSS. And so you have activities that are not fabricated activities. You're actually in the workflow, doing the work of the company, of the organization, and applying the skills that were introduced in that gather session. And you want to design assignments that will have tangible output so that you have the opportunity to have that output submitted to the facilitator to review and then move to the final stage of gear. Bob, do you want to take that one? Sure. And and, and one other thing too with apply that I think is important to, to also emphasize, Khan, is that in apply you can go beyond gather. Right? We we said earlier you're only going to cover the critical skills in gather, but in the apply activity and you and you when you wrap a real life scenario around it, the less critical skills are, are going to be needed. They're going to need to be yeah. learned. They're going to need to be discovered. One of the common things we get with critical skills is, so you're saying you're skipping stuff. We're not skipping anything, especially with a gear model. We're going to move those lessons, those learnings into the workflow while doing. They'll still be covered. They'll still be learned. And in the final stage of received feedback, we'll be sure it's all understood. So the R is received feedback. And here's why I want to circle around to the beginning. When we did our final analysis, you gather them in groups. You let them review their work. They turn it in. 
you, you give them feedback. We use rubrics to give all kinds of feedback and such. They learn from each other. They gather as a group. They hear each other's experiences. They see some remarkable examples. And in the end, friends, this is where the real learning happens. Because we're not talking and reflecting on a practice. We're not talking and reflecting on something just said during gather. That's all covered during gather. Here, they get to talk about what they did in apply, which is the application of true learning. And they get great feedback, positive and otherwise. And they get to learn from each other. And the pilot group said unanimously that we did with this original model that in the end, although gather we think is, you know, that's virtual learning, getting them online, virtually gathering, they unanimously told us of the four letters, G, E, A, and R, R was by far the most popular. That's where the most learning occurred, followed closely by apply. The last thing was gather. The thing they found, they, they knew it was important. They, they, they knew they had to do it. But the least impactful part is what I think we as an industry traditionally view as virtual instruction. So really powerful model to take people through. So Khan, G-E-A-R, <laughs> that's the design. We all know what makes instruction, particularly gathering, the instructor. Train the trainer, if you will. A lot of buzz around, yeah, my folks are good in class, or my SMEs come in and go through their PowerPoints and frankly aren't really good, but it's tolerable. You move people online, and there is a whole different set of instructional engagement and instructional elements that a trainer online virtually really has to know well, and it leads off with what instructors do best, but is very different in a two-dimensional world. And that's what we're calling meaningful engagements. Can you go deeper into that? Sure. So, you know, in the gear model, there's an opportunity to have actually more engaging, more powerful engagement activities than we traditionally have in the classroom because we can engage everyone. In the classroom, so often individuals are engaged like one or two or three small groups. Some people engage, others don't. But in the virtual classroom, you've got everyone connected and you can create a really remarkable activities that encourage and bring about the engagement of learning with everyone involved. We've identified a set of different types of activities or interactive activities, you've got to keep that going. You know, every five to 10 minutes, you've got to have a, an engagement interaction or activity that truly engages the learning process. That's not just about doing something, but it's truly engaging people in learning and growing in their understanding and their capacity to know what they need to know to eventually do what they need to do. So in addition to meaningful engagement, there's the whole challenge of managing cognitive load. And as we talked about, spaced learning is very helpful in managing that, but also in the rapid workflow analysis that you do as you map to the workflow, you want to apply principles that allow you to ensure that you don't just dump so much information that people can't cognitively hold it together. And so that's where methodology really does make a difference, where you've got to have your workflow map and be able to tie what it is that people are learning into that workflow. And so there's a lot behind that cognitive load management, particularly across the board, but particularly during the gather session. Two other areas, one dealing with cognition, friends, is that we have to be preparing people 
for EANR in gear. The, the gather is not only about dumping information, sharing information, even instructing information. It is preparing people through the critical skills that you'll teach and engage them in, as Khan just mentioned before, to then be able to solve, apply, and get that feedback when they move into EANR. So something called cognitive apprenticeship is critical. That's an instructional style where you don't just give answers. You intentionally work toward helping the learner discover those answers through apprenticing their cognitive thought. So cognitive apprenticeship is an intentional methodology. It's been around for quite a while that we apply to a practice called ramp up and down, which means over the length of the instruction, not just a gather session. Most courses break up friends into multiple gather sessions, four, six, eight of over what could be months, frankly, of time because of the EA and R in between. What ramp up and down means is as the gathers appear, as you take the learner further into their ability to support themselves with the EPSS, you also ramp the instructor out of the support business as you ramp the student's ability up to support themselves, that by the time your final gear occurs, your final gear cycle occurs, these learners are basically being asked what to do. They're being given some guidance. But frankly, between the EPSS and the degree to which they've learned to support themselves, they really are often ready to not just take what they've learned, which is powerful, and apply it, but even go beyond that and continue their growth beyond what would would originally be the outline of the course. So cognitive apprenticeship in concert with this methodology called Ramp Up and Down, another uh, podcast and video we have on our site, is the way of designing the experience. But again, it's a different way of instructing than we traditionally are used to in the classroom. You know, Bob, this morning I helped teach the gather session for our third gear cycle for a course that we're teaching virtually. And at this point of the game, we know where all 20 students are in their learning process. We know them. They are engaged. It is just such a remarkable experience to follow this process, this model in the learning. It's the the most rewarding teaching instructional experience that I ever have. I just can't say enough about how really powerful this blend of the virtual classroom and workflow learning can be. You know, the exciting thing, Khan, in this very troubling time is that there's some wonderful work we can do. And as you just outlined, we can emerge from this as we will emerge from this with not just having moved things virtual or made things digital. We can come out doing instruction in a way we may never do it again. We can have this thing work. So friends, join us on this journey. Follow up if you can. We'd love to go more and deeper into gear than we've been allowed to in this podcast. But we hope this is the beginning of helping you look at and making those virtual transformations a bit more meaningful. Khan, thanks so much for your time. Uh, Looking forward to our next discussion. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.